Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Coronavirus and Sports. This is Luis Miguel Echegaray. Today... Greg Bishop returns and joins our SI Dispatch to discuss the world of sports gambling and how it's been affected by the outbreak. From Las Vegas to online betting, we dive deep inside a gigantic industry. First, here's your weekend roundup. Mixed martial arts took center stage this weekend as UFC 249, which was originally scheduled for April 18th in New York, took place in Jacksonville, Florida on Saturday night. It was the first major sporting event in the U.S. to resume since the pandemic. It was definitely unique, as due to the empty arena, fighters could hear announcers and would change their strategy based on the commentary. Sanitizing and safety procedures were implemented, Judges and broadcasters worked from separate tables, and fighters, trainers, refs, and any other UFC staff member underwent COVID-19 testing to be inside. In the main event, Justin Gagey shocked by beating heavily favored Tony Ferguson, earning a TKO in the fifth and final round, earning what was deemed an interim lightweight belt. And finally, episodes 7 and 8 of ESPN's The Last Dance aired on Sunday night, and we have now reached MJ's first retirement, right before the 1993-94 season. But most importantly, we are taken to the core of Jordan's relationship with his father, the man he called his rock. As a result of his dad's murder, Jordan retires, bringing a series of theories and commentary, some unnecessary during that period. We also watch his pursuit with minor league baseball and his ban of Sports Illustrated due to a 1994 cover and report that read, Bag it, Michael. The eighth episode focuses on his return to the NBA after baseball, filming Space Jam, and a new fire instilled in him after realizing it will take him time to get back to prime. You can watch The Last Dance Finale, the last two episodes, next Sunday night. Have you ever experienced casino life? A weekend trip to Las Vegas or maybe Atlantic City? 
faces and accents from all over the world, bachelor and bachelorette parties, high rollers and Instagram influencers walking back and forth as blackjack tables adorn the inside corners of the Bellagio or MGM Grand. The soundtrack plays slot machines and cocktail waitresses, restaurant servers and roulette markers, all there for one reason, to throw the dice at chance. But the world of sports gambling is so much more than just Las Vegas, and as senior writer Greg Bishop tells in his latest daily cover, the betting community on and offline is evolving and far different than the stereotype we perhaps once perceived. Due to COVID-19, this industry has to rethink and regroup as it deals with a world that shies away from placing a bet, literally and figuratively. Joining me now is senior writer Greg Bishop. Greg, thanks so much for joining us again. Oh, thanks for having me. This is one of my favorite pods. <laughs> You're just saying that. I'll demo you later, Greg. <laughs> Greg, you wrote a great piece, uh, which is now out on SI.com on sports gambling in the time of the pandemic. Before we begin, I guess my first question is, let's paint a picture for the listeners, you know, outbreak aside, how big is this industry in the U.S.? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point to make up front because there's a lot of layers to that. You know, I think sports gambling has always been, you know, a multi-billion dollar industry. This is something that people do at sports books in Las Vegas. It's something they do with their friendly, perhaps not legal bookie down the street. Uh, this is something that for as long as there have been sports, people have been placing bets on them. And that is football, that is basketball, that is baseball, that is hockey, that is boxing, that is the Kentucky Derby. It, it is a huge industry. But I think that what's important in relation to the piece is not only is this industry big, but it was really getting bigger and it was poised in 2020 to have even more of a moment. You know, here here's an industry where various states are legalizing Washington, you know, D.C. It was legalizing Um you're looking at, you know, 10, 15, 20 places where like really on the verge of having mobile betting apps, of making it legal like it is in New Jersey, of making it so that Las Vegas isn't the only place that you can do this legally. And because that moment was 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 there and poised, you're looking at the growth of a huge multi-billion dollar industry that was coming up. And so they were really standing on the verge of this moment. And then like with everything else in the world, you know, coronavirus hit. You know, as you mentioned, it's huge. I mean, I grew up part of my life in England, so I know too well about the legality of it and just how big it can be as not just, you know, an industry, but as a culture. You know, you mentioned a lot of sports there. You know, are there some areas, some industries where some are bigger than others, specifically that rely so much on this particular industry? It's another great question in relation to the story because, you know, the NFL is obviously huge. That's the one where people bet consistently. It's throughout the entire season. Uh, you see now people are even betting on fantasy football. They're doing daily fantasy. They're, you know, there's a lot of ways and arms with which football, you know, really carries a lot of the gambling industry. Now, all that said, you know, March is in general the biggest month of the year. And so that's because of the NCAA tournament. You're talking handles with estimates. You know, people say over eight billion dollars is bet in March alone. Uh, I've seen even twelve billion, but the the more consistent estimates are right in the eight billion, nine billion dollar range. And you know, this year because so many states were legalizing and because so many uh, you know entities were popping up, they were predicting that this might be the biggest handle ever. You know, this is this is a month when. 
people bet more on the NCAA tournament than they bet on the Super Bowl, which should just give an indication of what was possible. And, you know, we're talking about not just the championship game, but all three weeks of games. So you have, you know, the sub-regionals, then you have the regional finals, then you have the the semifinals that are national and the championship game. And so, you know, this this month was the the worst month when they could have, you know, had to stop their operations. And it was the worst time of year and the biggest economic impact for sure. And, you know, like, like everything else in the world, there's not much you can do. The coronavirus has ground so many industries to a halt. But, you know, um, it forced everyone in this industry to look at uh, basically like what, what does sports gambling look at look like when there aren't any sports? And the answers there have been uh, unique and not great and definitely surprising. We'll return after these short messages. Let's talk about the NFL, because the NFL draft, as you mentioned in the piece, did bring some kind of normalcy, at least within that, that respect. How, how did that, you know, help at least in that short moment? Yeah, see, there's sort of two prongs here, right? So when the, when sports betting went away, when there are no sports to gamble on, what we've seen are a host of very strange offerings. You know, the, you can bet on the weather, like what's the high in Las Vegas going to be, and you bet the over-under. You can bet on top chef and who's going to pack their knives and go this week. You can bet on the Dow Jones and what the average will be. I mean, there are all these sort of, you know, I think sort of kitschy, um, you know, interesting kind of goofy bets that people can make, but you know, those are all offshore. They're not going to be able to bet on that in a normal book in the United States because of regulations, because of the way the laws work. And so what you've seen are <clears throat> most professional bettors have not really been betting that much at all. What the NFL drafted is it gave those kind of people, the people that are very serious and in the industry forever, it gave them something to bet on. And so what you've seen is, you know, people were placing bets on the draft itself, you know, whether it was, you know, how many running backs would go in the first round. You know, the answer to that, if you won the bet, would have been one. You know, the Chiefs took the kid from LSU at the very end of the round, and that was the only running back that went. Uh, there was a lot of action on who would be the – second quarterback taken since everybody knew Joe Burrow would go first to Cincinnati. Uh, it ended up being Tua Tagovailoa, you know, at five to the Dolphins. And so, you know, it, it's one way to bet now when you can't bet on regular sports, and that's to do bets like the draft or to bet on some of these minor league offerings. You know, they've been able to do odds for Belarusian soccer, for instance, or some table tennis in Taiwan or things like that. And so, you know, the volume is way, way down, but something like the draft or futures bets, like who's going to win the Super Bowl if the NFL comes back, those are little small injections of normalcy into an industry that has totally been upended here. I wonder, Greg, if there were any wacky bets in the NFL draft, like how many sweaters Roger Goodell would wear or if he would curse after his third, you know, bourbon or whatever. I think so. I, I wonder if there was a bet for like if he would start to nod off in his chair like he did the first day, you know, and like maybe there was a Goodell falls asleep bet and whoever did that made some money this this trip for sure. Right, probably made some bank. Let's get back to your article and your report because it also talks about the fact that there's a boom, as you mentioned, in creativity, et cetera, but especially with simulation uh, scenarios. I mean, you know, we had uh, an episode on the world of esports recently. Uh, you know, that's part of it. But, you know, talk to us a little bit about, you know, how creative people are being when it comes to simulation games. Yeah, this part blew my mind. I spoke to this guy, Ray Marino. He's the head trader for an organization called Bookmaker. They do online bets, and he's based in Costa Rica. 
And while we were talking, he had a simulated Madden tournament running and he was taking me through the bets. Now, by simulated, I mean, there's not an actual game being played. There, there's not two human beings going against each other. This isn't two guys sitting in their house playing video games. This is a computer that knows the rankings of these teams and is simulating a game that's not even real. And yet people are betting on this. And so during the time that Ray and I were speaking, they were having a Madden game between the Dolphins and the Patriots. Like, I just love this whole example. Like, so that they're, they're playing and like, for some reason on the simulation, the Dolphins always tend to do much better than they're supposed to. They have the worst collective ranking and yet they continue to pull off upsets. And so he was saying, watch and see what happens. And while we continued to talk, the spread was plus 14. They were down, you know, 14 point underdogs. And yet they went right down the field and scored on their opening possession. And then people are still betting that. So that's like a 21 point, you know, edge there. They probably won that game. And, you know, what, what he told me, what Ray said was that the handle on a typical Madden simulation could be up to 150,000, which is not a lot of money in their world, but a lot of money for a computer simulated bet. And he said it's similar to what they might see for action on a baseball game in the regular season. That's a real game with played by real humans with real bats and real pitches and real everything. And so he was saying that he never expected to be trading things like this, you know, and, and he was even saying that he doesn't really know how. Like they essentially have to watch the action, see who's betting where and adjust the line based on the action, because some of these things like putting odds on Belarusian soccer or Taiwanese table tennis, they just there's no there's not an expert in the world that exists in these places. And I think, you know, even now we're seeing Korean baseball come back like they're going to have to really soon get up to speed on like who's the, who are the better teams, which ones will have been affected the most by the pandemic. Uh, can you take bets that will be safe and regulated and not, you know, um, not fixed? And it's just going to be sort of a wild west while these sports comes back. And in the interim, essentially, it's it's guys that need their fix that are going to. They want the adrenaline rush that just need to bet on something. And it was funny because I actually started to get the itch a little. And I was like, man, maybe I should check out this simulated game betting. And so I went on their website and started to look at it. And then I'm just like, no, this is just dumb. I'm not doing this. So <laughs> I didn't end up making a bet. Didn't happen. You know, still the 150,000 number does uh, scare you a little bit. And I'm sure Crazy. A, I'm sure a lot of Bundesliga uh, professional experts will grow by by the month. Um, Greg, another part that I'm interested in, uh, in this article, because it's so you know, revealing and, and, and interesting is, you know, how the impact on Las Vegas, you know, the actual, not just the betting impact, but the physical impact uh, on the area, how long will it last, uh, you know, depending on your investigation, your report, uh, and how much is it obviously a, a, as a result of COVID-19? Yeah, a few layers to that one, too. You know, one thing I really tried to do with the piece was humanize the people that are involved. You know, th these are real human beings. And while nobody's crying for any industry that got upended because everyone is dealing with the same stuff, you know, this I wanted to really show that this impacted real people, not just people that are gambling or, and not just this sort of industry that's big and wide and, you know, worth a lot of money. And so one guy I spoke to was Jay Cornegie, who runs the sports book at Westgate in Las Vegas. And you know, it was just really interesting to hear him talk about every once in a while he'll go into work now at this huge sprawling casino. And you got to think of like a casino as it normally is, you know, at three in the morning, there's every light is on, all the TVs are on, you know, everything is bright and people are drinking and smoking and gambling and, you know, it's revelry at its finest. And when he goes to work now, he doesn't see another human being like they didn't know 
how to how to like lock the casino because they don't have locks on the doors. Like there's not a lock on the front door because they never have closed. And so he was saying they have this 240 foot wide video board. And when he watched the lights go out, he's thinking, what the heck? Like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. I don't really know when this is going to go back to normal. And now he's going into work and he can go through the casino, through the garage, up to his office, down the hall to get a coffee or whatever and not see another human being at a casino like that's just crazy to me and so i think that the impact will be felt long and wide because he was saying and and a few other people i spoke with were saying that like how do you start to come back like how many people can sit at a table can you even have a table there's not six feet between one slot at the blackjack table and the other one you know could people sit in a sports book could they just come and bet if they were six feet apart the way that there's tape at like your post office right now when you go to mail something, you know, could they have a line where people queue up, you know, with the safe distance to do it, but they don't have any answers to that because just like there's no playbook to close a casino, there's no playbook to reopen one. And so they just really have to check the impact. You know, I also spoke to Joe Asher, who's the CEO of William Hill, which is one of the largest bookmaking sites in the world. And, you know, he lives in Las Vegas and he was describing just sort of the devastation that's involved there. And one thing that he said is he thinks, you know, you can pretty much bet, you know, this is one thing you can bet on, that 2020 will be rough, you know, for the entirety of the Strip. And it's for all the reasons I just mentioned. How do you open the casinos for for a big conglomerate like MGM? How do they, which ones do they open? You know, they have a bunch of them. Do you open all at the same time? Do you consolidate? Is it one? Is it two? Is it three? And then it's how many guests can you have in there? How do you check them in? How do you clean the rooms? And then there's the whole issue of like, do people want to go back? Would you want to go stay in a hotel right now? Would you want to go play cards right now? Would you want to gamble on a simulated football game? Like these are all just sort of up in the air and it totally depends on when does the stay at home order end? What are the phases? You know, I live in Washington state. They're doing a four phase reopening, you know, like where, where would the casino sort of fit on there? Um, you know, there's all these questions to be answered and smarter people than me will answer them. But I would not expect sort of a linear progression there. I think it's going to be messy. I think there will be mistakes. I think you're going to see spikes in certain places because people don't do this right. I mean, there's just no playbook. And I think that's going to lead to not only uncertainty, but mistakes. And, you know, we're, I just think we're a ways from getting out of this. And I think the casinos will show that pretty starkly. Yeah. And of course, as you mentioned, you know, when you humanize it, you create the ripple effect with, you know, there's restaurant workers and bartenders, et cetera. So it just causes this chain of effect through so many industries. Greg, finally, another factor in your piece, as you mentioned, you humanize it so well. There's so many interesting characters. It's it's also about how, you know, even before the outbreak, sports gambling wanted to remove itself away from the stereotype right? You know, the overweight guy in the background with a cigar betting on multiple horse races or, you know, the soprano scene when, you know, Chrissy would be, you know, taking over all the college bets, et cetera. So sports betting wanted to get rid of that in a way, wanted to alienate itself from that stereotype. Does COVID-19 help this or hurt this, um, do you think, to repaint the image of the industry? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I did talk to three guys that are pretty well-known professional sports bettors. Well, four. One um, who, who we use in an anonymous way because he didn't really want to put all of his business out into the public. But the three who are sort of personalities who also bet on sports, their names are, this is pretty incredible, Spanky is what one goes by. Another one is Captain Jack. And the third is Rufus Peabody. And you really can't make this up. And these guys like as funny as their nicknames are, they're like real pro sports bettors. Their approach is grounded in 
code. These guys are computer science background, and they essentially are not like the guy you would picture. They're not sitting in a smoking room gambling their car keys at the end of a long night. You know, they're not like desperate looking for a fix. You know, they're kind of like professional poker players. What they crave is what they call a positive expectation. And when you don't know something like you don't know Belarusian soccer, you can have no positive expectations. So there's really no reason for these guys to bet right now. They're pretty much dark. They're just getting ready for when it comes back. And one thing that they all said that struck me as pretty interesting is that like, you know, essentially we might think of sports betting as like somebody sets a line and the world bets into it. And half the people are on one side and half the people are on the other. And the winners get the money and the losers lose the money and the, the house gets a little bit of the big. He said it's not really like that. What it's like is, you know, there is a line that's set and people that are smart like these guys that have models like these guys that have employees like these guys, they bet into that line. And then the line moves based on the smartest action. Now, because these guys have had all these months to sit and sharpen their approaches to have a sharper approach to have a better system, they think that that will actually push more non-professional bettors out of the marketplace because the lines will be sharper, the pros will be sharper, and therefore the market should be, in theory, more efficient, which just means they're more likely to win and you and me are more likely to lose. So there could be that sort of lingering ripple effect where if the market's more efficient, it becomes a higher percentage of bettors, the lines become sharper, which make them harder to beat, and Vegas becomes more formidable than it already was. And if you've ever seen the size of those casinos or the opulence of the fountains, like Vegas has consistently done pretty well in, in this regard. And so, you know, to me, if anything, it may make people wary at first when they're coming back. I think you also have to look at, you know, does somebody with a, not a lot of discretionary income continue to gamble? You know, does a $200 bet become a $50 one? Does a $50 bet become a non-existent one? And I think as the industry comes back, they're going to have to grapple with those kinds of things. All of that said, I do think that we will still be on the verge of this moment. And if I'm a state that has been totally decimated by COVID-19, I think if I'm a regulator in that state, I think pretty long and hard about introducing gambling if I hadn't already. Or, you know, you want the tax revenue. You want to be a part of that. You're looking at ways where you can refill the coffers as quickly as possible. You know, I think that that's one way to do it. And so I think like with most things, it's a little bit up in the air, but I do think that you're going to see effects from COVID-19. They are going to last. And the key, I think, is, you know, for the industry as a whole is to just get the action back. That's what they want the most, you know, people betting on things. The question is, will they immediately on what and how often? A fascinating uh, story on sports gambling, especially in the era of the pandemic senior writer greg bishop i'm gonna steal that name rufus peabody i think uh <laughs> thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me the characters talked about in greg's piece are more than meets the eye when we think about sports betting and just like any other sector it's vital to remember these people have families and a livelihood to maintain gambling may be alien territory to you or me and maybe even unethical to many people. But for those who work and are active members of the community, from servers, operational workers, and anyone who relies on a consumer, it's the bread and butter of everyday life. The need to gamble, therefore, and the necessity to keep this industry alive is anything but a game. Thanks to Greg Bishop for joining me today. Make sure to read his article, 
on SI.com. We'll continue bringing you these stories throughout the coronavirus crisis. Sound design courtesy of soundbible.com. If you like what we're doing, please recommend us to a friend or family member and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. You can listen to Coronavirus and Sports for free wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe or follow us for the latest episodes. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.